Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Blast Podcast, a show where we believe movies can be more than just movies. I'm Steve Watts, joined as always by my co-host Ty Patterson, and today we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's magnum opus, Oppenheimer. Ty, before we dive into this three-hour journey, do you want to tell us what you watched this week? A lot of rewatches this week, and not just movies. So, obviously... Got to see Oppenheimer only once, though. That was, that was my only non-rewatch. Then I went back to the theaters, and I saw Dead Reckoning with my mom. Last pod we, we had together, I told this grand story of seeing it with my roommate, and we were just big MI fans. It was a great experience for the two of us. But when Fallout came out, my big fanboy moment with Fallout was with my mom. So on the way home from DR, I give her a call, like, hey, this weekend, we need to go see Mission Impossible. Book it. So we met halfway, because I'm in Milwaukee. She's in Oswego. So we each drove an hour, met in an AMC. She loved it. It's her favorite MI movie, which made the experience that much better. Super cool. Then a couple days later, my Uncle Matt, big Indiana Jones fan, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of his favorite movies, and he hadn't gotten a chance to see Dial of Destiny yet, so we made the mission to go tackle it. I'm still torn here. Like, I I had a good time. This is clearly flawed, but um, a fun time. And that's all I can really say about the movie itself, but the experience was a lot better having my Uncle Matt there, like being with an indie fan. Yeah, real quick, I... I was talking to my mom about Indiana Jones in general this week, and she said, well, you know the the big flaw of Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And I was like, uh, I'm, I'm blanking here, what is it? And she said, well, the movie, everything in the movie happens exactly the same way if Indy's not in it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah, I never even <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> I wonder if that's, is that like a, like a common talking point around the movie or is that just something your mom has considered a gripe i don't know i i it's got to be people have to have noticed right like the all right that's a question for uncle matt then i mean if you think about it the the nazis get the ark they all melt i mean yeah that all goes down the same way exactly right. i like it i like the theory i like the take one last watch for you not a movie, but absolutely worth mentioning. This is a blast experience for me. 24. I I finally, after years of putting this on ice, have started to rewatch this show. I don't think I've ever explained this to you, but I've talked about my love for the show Lost. My mom and I have a lot of great memories watching that. You know, we used to go do library DVD rentals to catch up, get me caught up on all the seasons, and then watch the the remainder of the series together did the exact same thing with my dad 24 was our show and that is something that I'll always like have a special place in my heart for but never like rewatched it It wasn't something special like lost where I kept revisiting it so it pops up on Hulu the other day I talked to my roommate who is he's got this archetype of movies and shows that he likes to watch and I knew this was right up his alley so sat him down within 35 minutes he said dude this is awesome (laughs) and we have been just ripping this show every night like three episodes a night at least 
and it's just taking me back to like sitting down and just grinding through these episodes with my dad just it's been super fun that's awesome uh i've never i've never watched that one it's one of my parents favorites though Kiefer sutherland man this is like john wick before john wick just superhuman badass sigma just like pseudo fbi it's it's cool i you got to check it out yeah maybe i will um my my list this week isn't too long but it's it's fairly extensive uh started this off with batman the doom that came to gotham and i talked to you a little bit about uh cosmic horror i i went on this big cosmic horror kick for like a couple of weeks maybe two months ago and this is literally just batman fighting fucking cthulhu and i was all in from the minute it started batman's it's like takes place in the 30s and it's just fucking awesome like uh god i i loved it even though there's so many flaws with it i gave it a five stars uh highly recommend you check it out because it is a like different type of batman that i don't think you've really seen before good to know and i believe i asked you this already but this is jensen ackles right i believe so yeah that is so funny to me okay i mean i i really like him as this animated batman i i I, I will probably check this out Dude, I I really think you'd have a good time. It's short, it's quick, uh, you know, everything good time. everything you love. Um, followed that up with more cosmic horror though, because that was like, damn, now I gotta watch the best one, which is in the mouth oh, of madness. Oh boy, you gotta watch this one, man. I actually think you would fucking love it. Um, I I wrote a letterbox review on this that actually got a few likes, and it basically no way. Yeah, it's it, I. This film is just so special to me, I think, because it's it's really interesting. I don't know. Uh, the review that I wrote was, this is sure to go down as one of my most watched movies ever and one of the most creatively written and visually executed movies I've seen in my life, proof of John Carpenter's genius. Like, it is wow. phenomenal. Wow. I mean, that review alone, I... Maybe this needs to be my next watch at the house. This is, that's some serious praise coming from you. You'd love it, and I think it would make a great deep dive pod because there's a lot to talk about in that movie. Um, After that, though, I watched a classic action movie, First Blood. I listened to the rewatchables on this, and I just knew that I had to go go and rewatch. It's so fucking good, dude. I've always been a I've always been a truther for this movie. This was one of my first Blu-ray purchases, not DVD, but when I finally like made the switch to Blu-ray, I think First Blood was like one or two, like that and Untouchables. Wow, no, it's it's yeah. just phenomenal. Um, followed that up though, I finally got out to see Insidious: The Red Door. Uh, this was an interesting one. I was my experience was a little tainted because I was super sick last week. And if I still sound a little nasally, that's why. But um, this one, like, I was running back and forth to get more napkins to, like, wipe my running nose with every, like, five minutes of the movie. So, oh boy, kind of rough. But uh, I-, I guess there's, like, just not really a reason this should exist. But uh, I think Patrick Wilson did recognize that. And 
in like his directorial debut, which is this movie, I think that this is sure to like get him more work. Uh, he worked with the script fairly well, and he got he he made a lot of great moments. Um, and yeah, I I wanted more from this movie, but I wasn't really upset with it. I thought it was an okay sequel. Can I wait till it comes out on streaming services? Oh, absolutely, yes. Cool. Good to know. All right. Um, then Morgan had said that she hadn't watched either The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises. She wasn't sure which one she hadn't seen. So if it's that unclear, then she needs to rewatch both. And uh, we watched The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. I love DKR more. You know that. But such just amazing movies. I, again, like, talk about a deep dive pod. Dark Knight Rises is, like, that is at the top of my list. I I could rave about that movie any given day, and I will make the argument over it, uh, over D, or TD, TDK any day of the week. Dude, I, I texted you this. I just, like, feel so bad for the people who are so far up their own asses that they can't just sit down and have the best time watching Dark Knight Rises. I don't get it. I can't. I cannot understand how it doesn't just light a fire under you exactly. and just want you to become Batman and save <laughs> Gotham. I I do not understand it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, Morgan was so like shocked by the Robin reveal too. She loved it. <laughs> oh my! In the theater, I remember like, oh my god, oh my god, it's Robin. Uh, Even though it's just his first name. Yeah, that's it's awesome though. Um. Anyways, then I watched Barbie, which uh, I'm, I'm sure we will be posting a pod about sometime soon. Uh, this was a really good movie. It was not as good to me as Greta Gerwig's other work. I much prefer Little Women and Lady Bird, but this was still really good. Uh, I think the comedy in this one is better than the comedy she had in Lady Bird. Um, but I don't know if the emotional moments really hit for me, and I think that's because America Ferreira just is a TV actress and not a movie star, and that's a take that I'm willing to stand by. Um, she did okay in the movie, but I think that she kind of brought it down from a 10 to more like an 8. Good to know. Good to know. I who? Why am I drawing a blank? Ferreira. Where, what is she in? Uh, I think of her as the girl from Superstore. Uh, that doesn't help is she one of the leads she is yeah she's like the barbie's like owner or whatever um yeah i mean her top credits are ugly betty which is a show that ran from 2006 to 2010 and superstore which went from 2015 to 2021 it's she is more suited for tv i think in a lot of ways interesting um, it's it's on my docket for this weekend. I, I'd like to get to Barbie, and I'd also like to get to Sound of Freedom. I mean, a movie that's got that much buzz and is kind of taken over the box office, it's got to be worth a watch, surely. So I'm going to give it a try. I would, I would encourage you to research uh, a little bit about that, because there's some questionable... I've heard, I've heard, I've heard both sides of the spectrum. I think it's... I want I want the answer. Like I I want to experience it for myself. I think. Okay. Um, that said, uh, I also went and rewatched Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I saw this with my mom this time, and 
going to the theaters with my mom is a pretty special experience. We don't get to do it often. The last time we did was Everything Everywhere. And something that I just, like, admire about her is that when we're in a movie with people there, like, she is unashamed to, like, react. And, like, that's, like, the best type of person to watch a movie with, you know? Like, when, uh... <laughs> Oh, man, when Antonio Banderas gets shot, which, spoiler alert, but it's been out for long enough, I think, um, she was like, oh, and I was like, no way, like, this is awesome, like, <laughs> you, that is the best, it is, isn't it, um, so I had a great time rewatching it, it actually bumped up my score of it a half star, and when I rewatch this, it'll probably go back down a half star, unless it's with my mom again, but, huh. oh, well, um, what did you think of the ending, really quick? Uh, still hated it. <laughs> no, no, your mom. Oh, she actually enjoyed it, I think. She's like a time travel fiend. Like, she, all of her favorite movies are time travel. And so, okay. um, if you have you ever checked out Frequency? No, I don't oh, think so. It's a great Dennis Quaid movie about uh, this guy, like, trying to... It's like there's a time traveling desk that he can carve into and talk to his dad and there's like a radio oh my gosh i've seen that on tiktok yeah it's 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 a good one uh that's her favorite ever though um anyways cool. i watched oppenheimer twice and that rounds off the week <laughs> all right which means we're down to business now so i think it's time to kind of dive into oppenheimer yeah um, as, as you put it his magnum opus yeah, if you so I saw this twice before we when we're, when we're talking theater experiences. Do you want me to go my first watch, then your watch, and then my second watch? I think that's a good way to do it. I'm right. fine with that. Uh, so on my first watch, I went with Morgan IMAX opening night Thursday. Uh, I was so happy to finally be in a packed theater. Morgan was like we should probably order our tickets ahead, right? And I was like, I've never seen a crowd at any movie I've gone to in Bloomington, so who cares? Uh, and she finally talked me into looking, and we got, like, two of the last seats together, and it was, like, sold out when we were there. It was awesome. And um, I was still sick, so I don't think I got everything from this watch, and it tainted the theater experience a little bit. But also tainting the theater experience was that I didn't get any trailers. They just had a black or like a gray screen up for the entire trailer time and then dove straight into the movie. I was uh, so bizarre. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. People were like buzzing because it had been like 10 minutes since the movie was supposed to start. And the theaters or the trailers hadn't started. We were like, what's what's going on here, guys? Um, but. Nevertheless, it was a great first watch, um, and the the most memorable moment of this that I think I'll look back on for a long time is, without spoiling anything, this movie is about J, uh, or J. Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah, it. Um, it is about the atomic bomb. There is an atomic bomb explosion in this movie. Um, when the bomb was at, like, a 45-second countdown, the lady next to me got up to get a popcorn refill. <laughs> <laughs> How? How is that possible? I looked at Morgan, and I was like, what? Why are you even watching this? Why did you spend the 15 bucks on an IMAX ticket to come to this theater? 
and leave before the thing that this entire movie was building up to. Like, I could not believe it. That's something you have to, like, that's like a post-game interview question. Like, after the credits start, like, lady, please explain this to me. Dude, they were, she was out, like, as the credits started. I was, oh, man, I, I couldn't believe it. Just not having it. <sighs> so, for my, on my end, it was, it was a little bit special. And you mentioned this in your experience, how your theater was damn near sold out. Similar experience for me. For the last couple, I, I you know, I'm going to say I haven't had to worry about a sold-out theater since Avengers Endgame. I have not feared, like, buying a movie ticket, like, a couple hours before going to see a movie. Flash forward to Friday. So the movie's been out for a day. I figure all of the nerds have already seen it. Mm-hmm. I, I have a good chance of getting a seat at one of these IMAX showings. I'll just, no one's home. I'll wake up early. I'll go see the 1040. Sold out. Okay. Um, let's check the 1 o'clock. Sold out. Okay. 3.30. Let's give that a rip. Sold out. Jesus. Oh, my God. How is this possible? And then, like, I'm, I'm bouncing between theaters trying to find one because I want to go see it in IMAX. I end up stumbling across one. There's a 6.30 showing, like, 35 minutes away. And there is, I shit you not, one seat in the middle of <laughs> of the theater, like two rows past the like the divider between the front and the back. It was a middle seat. I I have to pull the trigger here. I don't care if I'm gonna be in between everybody because that's my thing. It's like if I'm going alone, I'm sitting in an aisle. Yeah. I still get social anxiety. I need I need to do that. So it took a lot for me to buy this ticket. I was really struggling, but I get to the theater. And I buy my popcorn, I sit down, and I, we've been ripping trailers. And I'm going to talk about the trailers in a second. But sit down, and the couple next to me is not showing up. And the movie starts, like 10 minutes goes by. I'm like, okay, maybe they're just not going to show up. But I, just in case they do, I will stay in my spot. I get about 35 minutes into this movie, and I am fuming. Why? Because the guy right next to me, is like hovering over me. He's got his arm on my like uh, arm stand. Yeah. And he's heavy breathing. Like and when I mean heavy breathing, I can't hear the dialogue in the quiet scenes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You the, get, you're sitting next to Darth Vader. <laughs> Dude, I'm freaking out. Like I started giving him dirty looks. I, I, I got fed up. I finally like forty minutes in, right before the bomb goes off, I'm thinking I can't deal with this. Yeah. I look at him shake my head and i move over like two seats and and just just lock back in yeah because i just i couldn't stand anymore i was so invested in this movie it took a lot it takes a lot for me to cause a scene it was worth it i (laughs) i love this movie but we'll dive into why in a little bit yeah i do want to talk about two trailers especially since you didn't get any the first one that's a little less important with each new trailer for voyage of demeter or whatever the vampire movie it looks worse and worse it's so frustrating that first trailer looked so sick yeah they keep showing more of the vampire i don't get it i i don't know i am still really excited for this i don't know if you know this the last voyage of the demeter is the first chapter of bram stoker's dracula no way yeah 
I did not know that. And is that their attempt of setting the story up again, or do you think it's just a one-off? I'm not sure. Uh, I think it leaves room to grow, though. I'm I'm excited. It's we haven't gotten really like a good Dracula story in a while. Yeah, I mean you're right. I hope they do it right. And like I said, I was excited for this when the first teaser came out. I just feel like they're they're showing their hand a bit too much. That's yeah, all. yeah. Starting to drive me nuts. Either way, I'm in an IMAX theater. This one is loud. You can feel it. What a terrible theater to watch a uh exorcist trailer for (laughs) dude if you guys haven't seen the new exorcist trailer go check it out it's not available online i i searched and searched i couldn't see it i did see it on my second uh oppenheimer watch though i'm literally i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it i don't know what it was about this it had to have been the sound and the fact that like kids were being possessed I, it, it made me so queasy and uneasy to the point where I almost like got up halfway through the trailer. I would, but I'm like buried in the middle of this theater. I can't move. And it was the, like the last trailer before the movie started. I thought it was going to taint my experience. I was truly scarred. I haven't felt that way about anything horror related since Insidious. Like the ending of Insidious has stuck with me that long. I feel like this trailer and probably the movie when I see it is going to kill me. So, very scary, but cool experience. I'm going to say, I, I didn't think it looked that scary, but when that uh, when the theme was, like, blasting over yeah. the IMAX speakers, I was like, all right, I get what people are saying in the 70s. Like, Yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> it, it, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was so uneasy. Like, oh, okay, Mom, I get it. I understand why you were scared. Yeah. Um. All right, then. My second watch. I'm sorry, Morgan. This was a better experience. Uh, I was not really sick anymore. Um, This theater was packed, though. And this was packed with people for Barbie, Oppenheimer, and I think Mission Impossible. Because, you know, Kendall 11, I always go around the back and I park on the side uh, because I just think it's easier. I, I go around, I see, oh shit, there's a line of cars in the back of the theater. The, all the side spots are taken. Then I start going down the aisles of parking spots. I go down three, and I finally find one at the very end, like right next to Oberweiss. And I'm like, oh my god. And then I, I text wow. my buddy, I'm like, dude, I don't know if you're going to be able to find a parking spot here. And he's like, yeah, I, I just parked at Jewel, which is the... For those listening, this is the grocery store, like, next door to the theater. I was like, no way. It's not even next door. It's, like, across the strip mall, like, yeah. all the way down. Yeah. That it's has some serious... Crazy. That's no joke. Um, it was so cool, though, to see the lobby, like, just buzzing. Like, everybody was excited for this. And once we got into that theater, I didn't see a single person move. Like... Nobody went to get refills. Nobody went to the bathroom. This is a three-hour movie, and nobody moved. Um, I was... I will say, though, (laughs) this had one of my funniest theater experience or moments of all time, and it is that when the bomb went off, (laughs) like I mentioned before, it's... It goes dead silent, and then you just hear... The, somebody timed up their iPhone alarm to go off as the, with the fucking detonation of the bomb. What the fuck? The theater, like, just roared with laughter. It was so funny. 
I would be so annoyed. I'm glad you guys had your laugh. I would have been so mad. If it wasn't my first watch, I would have been, or if it was my first watch, I was, I would have been pissed. But since it was my second, I was able to just (laughs) laugh. But Jesus, man, what a, what a time. Yeah, that's, that is all time. (laughs) We got to start doing that. I've been catching like TikTok videos of people like, like farting. During the, <laughs> during the silence. <laughs> Good Jesus stuff. Jesus Christ. All right. Um, do you want to dive into the spoiler-free thoughts here? Yeah. I, I think that you can speak to this point a little bit more. But I think about halfway through this movie, I had, I've gone through quite the journey with Christopher Nolan. I've always enjoyed his work, but he's never been, like, my favorite director I'm like halfway through this movie and just it made me fall in love with him like all over again. It made me like find a new appreciation. It, like as someone that wasn't a big fan of Tenet, I like halfway through this movie, it's like, "Oh, you know what? I just I really want to watch Tenet again. I I really want to watch Dunkirk again. I yeah. I want to go back and revisit Inception. I I just like he was so dialed in on this one. It made me appreciate him all over again maybe want to rewatch all of his work i just i want to say i've noticed this narrative that's like kind of formed since like the the birth of tiktok i guess or i guess maybe the release of tenet but even before that in the in the film community that i'm a part of people have started like saying that nolan is a hack and he's fraudulent and like this this movie just i think proves everybody wrong But first off, like, I do want to address, if you think Nolan is a hack, I dare anybody who says that to try and make a movie that makes, like, fucking $500 billion or whatever every movie he makes does. And secondly, if Nolan isn't, like, one of the greatest directors in Hollywood right now, if not all time, then why are A-listers like Florence Pugh lining up for two minutes of screen time in his movies? Right. Right. (laughs) And, like... There are there are scenes in this movie where an A-lister is just in the background, like not in focus, because and that's just something you, they they all buy into Chris Nolan. Yeah, everybody like, wants to be work here. with him. Yeah, it's it's a testament it's, to how skilled of a director he is. I think. Yeah, and it's funny because you hear stories about like how strict he is on set. Like he doesn't believe in like chairs. <laughs> if you're sitting, you're not working. Yeah, but that's just like. It shows how much people respect what he does, and like people love, including me, love what Tom Cruise is doing with his movies, creating popcorn movies and bringing people into the theater. Nolan is doing it an entirely different way. Yeah, I, I like yes, Villeneuve maybe puts people in the seats, but no one sells out IMAX theaters for an entire weekend like Christopher Nolan. People yep. show up for his name alone. Yep. It's unbelievable it's awesome it's cool that we get to see it he may be the last one he might be yeah and you know i think that tenet just came out at a weird time but now that oppenheimer's just kicking ass that i think that there's gonna like everyone's gonna be pumped for his next project not that they weren't before but the anticipation for whatever comes next is gonna be at an all-time high oh yeah Either way. Um, um, 
that said, um, I I also wanted to point out that I think Nolan, like, in some way, brings out just the best in composers. Like, this is unreal what Ludwig Göransson does. He is, in my opinion, like, approaching Hans Zimmer now. And the only wow. trend I can see is, oh, Zimmer did, like, what, six movies with Nolan? Oh, now we're now we're transitioning into Gorenson and now Gorenson is all over my Spotify playlists. Like He is unbelievable, man. I another banger. An, another banger. I don't get this guy. Even um like I don't want to go down the movie score rabbit hole, but there's a couple guys that are like emerging. We've got Belf, we've got Pemberton. Mm-hmm. There's a couple guys, but Gorenson seems to be coming I don't know if he's becoming Hans, but he's taking over Hans's role as Chris Nolan's right-hand man. Yeah, I mean, I think once... So, the way I see it is Williams is to Zimmer as Zimmer is to Gorenson. Like, the the next head honcho. Yeah, is that fair? Yeah, he's passing the baton. Mm-hmm. I can see it. That's cool. And I, I it makes you wonder, is it is it just a Dune thing? Or is it now... Wow, this Gorenson guy is really good. Do I just keep riding with this guy? I, I, it's hard to believe that Nolan wouldn't bring back Zimmer, um, right? Like if 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 Nolan does Inception two or some shit, it's it's Zimmer's coming back. Like if right. he if he comes back to that sci-fi realm at least. Yeah, I could see it. I I could see it. Um, you know, obviously music was unbelievable in this movie but it's not the only element and like obviously people know that chris nolan is a phenomenal director but i don't think everyone knows that he also does most of the screenplays yeah and i felt like this was him flexing his writing muscles and his creative flair to writing a story yes i know that this is inspired by a book called american prometheus but his spin on the story and restructuring the script into a first-person sort of unreliable narration was a brilliant choice and was him flexing his writing muscles a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen him flex them that hard since Batman versus Superman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But Break that down for me. He, he wrote Batman versus Superman and I think Man of Steel maybe as well. Did he? No, I don't think either one. Let me look at this. He's a, he he produced both, but he didn't write them. No, um, he wrote the Dark Knight trilogy with his brother. Hold on. Okay, I'm I'm a little silly, but not dumb. Uh, he did not re- write Batman versus Superman. He did write Man of Steel, or co-write, I guess. Okay. Oh, it's funny. Man of Steel, more beloved, yeah. and one of my favorite comic book, mo- comic book movies of all time. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Well, look, yeah, I just, I kind of want to go down the list here of different takeaways I had and keep them spoiler free. Yeah, please do. Starting, w- starting with, like, if you haven't seen this movie yet and you, you kind of have a grasp of, like, Nolan's filmography, I think the best way to explain your opinion of this movie is how you feel about Dunkirk. If 
if you didn't exactly like Dunkirk, but like can appreciate and respect it, I think that you're going to go in and love Oppenheimer. I think that it takes like all of the like realistic, grounded, historic storytelling and just beefs it up and makes it fun. Yeah. And that I think that's the best way to put it. I love Dunkirk, but I know a lot of people didn't for those reasons. I think that this movie services those fans. That's fair. The I am not the biggest Dunkirk fan, but like you said, I do respect it. Um I, I for me, I think the difference between it is that when there's like even just the simplest conversations happening in this movie, you have Gorenson just putting every muscle he has into the into the score and that legitimately made me more involved and it also um sorry to take away real quick but it moves really fast for being three hours long and i think that's mostly due to that music playing during the slower moments and there is like constant cuts between shots in this movie i started counting a couple of times and i never got past five it's funny too the the amount of dialogue heavy scenes in this movie yeah the i can't believe that it doesn't feel like a three-hour movie i'm not saying it doesn't feel long but this movie flies by and it's just people talking for the majority of the (laughs) runtime it's it's unbelievable it is it's it's something i've never really experienced before and like i i want to preface this you already made this a point slightly but like this movie like you need to go in understanding that this movie is not called Trinity or the Hydrogen Bomb. It's it's called Oppenheimer, and they stick to that concept. This movie is about Oppenheimer. The bomb. It's it, I, it's hard to believe, but when I think about this movie and like my favorite scenes and like the first scenes that come to mind, it's not the explosion that you're seeing in the trailer. It's all of these like grand but little dialogue heavy moments it's so cool yeah no i i i completely agree that explosion though is don't downplay it it is very memorable it's super cool (laughs) but it it's i i found myself loving everything after the explosion this is one of my favorite third acts in recent memory if you want to understand like who i am as a movie nerd as a movie fan and like what I want out of a movie, just watch the last like 45 minutes of, of Oppenheimer. You will understand what a Tyler movie is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's um, perfectly crafted. Um, wh- what were some of your other takeaways, though? Saying, like, all I've been hearing is, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is great. He deserves an Oscar. I completely agree. Like, he, he's going to get a nom. He was great. I just want to make sure that no one downplays some of just the phenomenal supporting actors and actresses in this movie. Like, I, I don't want Downey Jr. to outshine. Like a couple people had some crazy heat checks. Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt is phenomenal. Yeah. I don't think that she had enough screen time to be nominated for best supporting, but I think she deserves it. She's great. Mm-hmm. Jason Clark, I think is so good in this movie and I don't want to dig into spoilers too much, but he's great. It was seeing it seen Josh Hartnett back, you know, on the big screen, just put the biggest smile on my face. Like everyone came to play for Chris Nolan. Yeah. It was so cool. Even yeah. Matt Damon. And I've been kind of anti Matt Damon 
for the last like two three years i think he's been mailing it in i kind of like what he does with this role we'll, we'll break that down i i like what he does here how about because this is the most important thing in the history of the fucking world how about that <laughs> it it works it, it works does. for for groves or whatever it does it does yeah and with that said like I, i'm mentioning all of these you know supporting characters that you've seen in the trailers but there are some serious like no way home level like reveals and cameos in this movie <laughs> we just talked about dark knight rises like the the robin name drop there is 100 <laughs> percent a similar robin name drop yeah. towards the end of this movie that like had my theater going oh wow <laughs> it's so special to be able to do that in a movie that's <laughs> about u.s history <laughs> he he knew no one paid attention in class and just made a great movie. Dude, yeah, and tuned in. I did not know like any of this stuff legitimately. I know, and oh gosh, it what a great story to tell. And again, I I've already mentioned this, but I just like the way it was unpacked. I could have done a full movie surrounding the aftermath of the the bomb test. I could have done a full movie about everything leading up to the bomb. There's a lot to break break down about, like, assembling the team. Oppenheimer's, like, guilt throughout the process, his, his guilt after the process. There, there's a lot to unpack, and I'm, I really enjoy the way Nolan did that. Yeah. Um, do you have any other non-spoiler thoughts? One last one. I, is no CGI becoming the new CGI in the sense that, like, you watch a scene... And you think, how did they do that? Yeah. How is this all practical? Yes. It's becoming the new spectacle. It's awesome. I love that too. Yeah, we're so back. Movies are back. Movies are back. That's that's how I felt yesterday when I when my friend had a park at Jewel. I I never even have thought about that at any movies in my entire life. I don't think. Um, all right. I I have one spoiler free thought to finish this off before we, we go into spoilers. Am I crazy to call this one of the most ambitious projects of all time? I'd like to hear this take a little bit more. I, When I think of like Nolan at his most ambitious, I funny enough, I think of Tenet. I'm surprised you don't feel the same way. Well, Tenet feels like a passion project. This feels like just perfect at every level. I, I feel like, in a way, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. So in the movie, Oppenheimer is assembling this big team of scientists. I feel like that's Nolan just assembling this like list of 300 A-listers and packing them into a studio and <laughs> doing this. Like, I, I think the visuals that he did that created the, the bomb, I, I, just from top to bottom, this is perfect, and I feel like... That's that's what I mean by that. I, maybe even more than mo one of the most ambitious, I think this is one of the greatest movies of all time. I think it's one of the most impressive movies of all time. I didn't know this, but correct me if I'm wrong, this budget was like $100 million. Yeah. H how was how it only $100 million? With this cast, with the visual work, it's, it's impressive, and only a good director is getting your money's worth like that. Yeah, exactly. Um... All right then. Are you are you into diving into spoilers then? Yeah, and I, for those listening, Steve 
put out a couple like pointers for spoiler discussion. I think this is very fascinating how this is broken out. If you kind of want to elaborate. Yeah. So I, I wanted to touch on a couple of things, but after that, I thought that instead of walking through plot points like we usually do when we talk spoilers in a movie, I think it's more interesting to break down our thoughts on each of the characters in this movie, or at least the characters that we feel warrant opinions. Um, because there is... I, I, this is a very character-driven movie. There's, like, not a ton of plot here. Like, I can sum this up as Oppenheimer makes the atomic bomb and Louis Strauss is exposed like that's that that is the entire movie and so i think that the strength of this entire thing comes from its characters but before we dive into that i want to touch on something that i didn't notice on my first watch really and then i did on my second on the first i thought it was going to be like nolan was going to do like a chapters thing but at the very start of the movie when we see Oppenheimer starting to go on his like journey across Europe and start learning quantum physics and this is a timeline that eventually leads into uh, the creation of the atomic bomb and the second timeline is the Robert Downey Jr. storyline of um, Louis Strauss being accepted or declined into the US presidential cabinet and the Oppenheimer story is labeled fission, and the RDJ story is labeled fusion. And so I looked this up and did a little bit of research after the movie, and fission is when atoms split from one heavy nucleus into two lighter ones, and then they release a, a, a bunch of energy, and that's one of the ways that the bombs are built. And Tell me if you agree with me on this, but I interpret that to be Nolan saying that Oppenheimer splitting from the bomb is like a fission reaction, because once once he is no longer one with his creation, he gives it to the government, the split causes an explosion with Oppie realizing the damage that his creation has caused and how catastrophic it is. And another, you know, lighter consequence, he's ridiculed and almost ostracized by the very government that he created this bomb for. Yeah, absolutely. It it splits off into more consequences. It's a it's a perfect analysis. Yeah, and and it it even shifts his mentality from the the guy who's building the bomb to an outspoken man about maybe we shouldn't be using these bombs. and fusion, then, is when two lighter nuclei smash into each other and combine into one heavy one. And so this is the RDJ storyline again. I interpreted that to be Downey like colliding with his past actions of fucking over Oppenheimer, and everything explodes in that like Senate courtroom, essentially, um, when he's exposed for uh, essentially just targeting and... and getting Oppenheimer right yeah I I think there's another element to this like difference not like not from a perspective of fission versus fusion but like just like the from a very simple premise of RDJ's version is in black and white Oppenheimer's is in color and I think Nolan explained this in everything in color is Oppenheimer's perspective and then black and white, the, you know, very binary in colors, very, um, 
desaturated that that is the objective lens or the the lens of strauss and like everyone around him interesting and that's how that's how nolan's balancing that with color interesting uh what did you think of the use of color in black and white i didn't mind it helped me um it honestly helped me grasp the timeline you know no one can be a bit wonky with time me too all i was thinking was just like yeah it's memento but not backwards (laughs) right exactly Um, and i think it's funny like i there was a couple scenes that i think there's only one or two scenes that like you see in both color and black and white yeah and one of them pops up at the very end of the movie so like with einstein yeah like and, with the hat falling off and the dialogue between them. And that brings me to, I think this is one of the greatest endings of all time. So I hope you meet, like, I just want to stress, like, I think this is one of the greatest, like, ending scenes of all time. It might be my favorite ending scene of all time between him and Albert talking about, like, yes, I we may have created the very thing that will destroy us, and it shows the montage yeah. of the atmosphere melting earth or the atmosphere melting it's it was so good uh Gorenson's like score just swells up Jesus. close up on on killian murphy's face just perfect it's it's great and um the i love the lead-in too with the i i told you about uh oppenheimer and einstein at the pond right where when he turned him against me and alden Ehrenreich just says Maybe they were, weren't even talking about you. Maybe they were talking about something more important. Yep. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I love it. So good. What a great line. Alden Ironrack <laughs> was so good in this movie. Such a dick to RDJ. I know. It's it's awesome. And he doesn't even have a name. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Right. In, the, in the cast, it's just Senate aide. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so funny. He's literally just he's Han Solo again. He is. Um, that said, though, are you ready to jump into this character breakdown? Yeah, I think this is a really cool concept. Let's let's speed run this. I, I think this is really fun. All right, so I, I think the first and most obvious thing to start at is uh, Oppenheimer, right? Yeah, makes sense to me. So I guess my first question to you is, do you see him as a tragic hero? Absolutely. I I think this is an easy breakdown from just looking at, like, the idea of prometheus like he's punished for giving fire to the humans and he's set to be tortured for eternity that is oppenheimer he he has this great gift in this gifted mind and wants to use it to create the bomb but he knows that it's going to come with a price like yes i can do this but it may destroy the world. Like I, I'm making an advancement in science, but here is the cost. Yeah, um, and he's the destroyer of worlds. I, I love the line in one of the courtroom scenes when he says that his like moral dilemma apparently arose when he realized that the U.S. intended to use every weapon that it has. I thought that was great. There's a lot of great moments like that i where am i going with this it's just um i don't know i i think my favorite scenes in this movie are when it's from his perspective especially post bomb 
and he's going through almost like a PTSD as if he was there in Nagasaki. Yeah. Like seeing people, you know, being disintegrated. Very, very cool stuff they did there. And we we don't we're not really gonna dive into like specific plot points, but I just wanna say I think they handled the bombing of Japan the only way they possibly could have. Yes. Like without it being disgusting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I mean I cool. I think it was great that we didn't have to watch the just horrors that occurred in Japan, but Nolan still gave us the cool explosion boom, you know? <laughs> yeah. With just doing I, a test run. I really do want to read the book and see like how Oppenheimer really was. Because in real life, do did people really root for this guy or are we just rooting for Killian Murphy? Dude, that's because it's Killian Murphy. That's what I'm like having trouble deciding and I think part of it is that it's easier to sympathize with him because like it, at the back of your mind you know that if Oppenheimer didn't make it they would probably still get it done it just might have taken longer or somebody else would have figured it out you know and I think that helps his character and it's also obviously very hard to root against Cillian Murphy but lastly he's also very human in this movie we see him make a ton of mistakes and I think that that does a lot for us seeing him as a tragic hero instead of a villain yeah there is like a a clear correlation between one of these mistakes you're referencing and building the bomb like he is the destroyer of worlds in the sense that he created the bomb that may destroy us destroy the planet but it's there's a smaller plot point with florence Pugh's character where he is like he's done with her he's he's moved on from her he's with kitty he's gonna have a kid he he had an affair or cheated on her whatever you want to say mm-hmm. but like he keeps he's not trying to string her along he's trying to protect her and like like be in her life but him doing so what he thinks is right ultimately destroys her world yeah and it's a sneak peek of him destroying other people's worlds yeah it's it, that's that's a great way to put it. I love that. Cool. Um, and do you have anything else to say about Oppenheimer? No, I think that we made some good points. I, I'm I'm just torn. I I I I don't know if it's necessarily like just Murphy that makes it easy to root for. I think it's the way that Nolan constructed the story. Yeah. You see how horrified he is, like, immediately. Right. And, and yeah. that makes it easy. Easy to digest. You can tell that it's it's killing him throughout the movie. Yeah. The I, I also love the usage of the feet stomping sound. Um, yeah. As, like, a building, like, pressure, kind of, before things in, like, his mind even kind of explode at points in this movie. I think it's it's really wonderful there's a there's that moment where you know when the bomb goes off there's it's dead silence but also after and they're celebrating the bombing of japan and he's in front of the crowd and it goes silent as if another bomb has gone off and he's going through that trauma all over again yeah yeah it's it's horrifying i i think the scene that stands out most to me in this movie is his speech in the gym where Everything is everything is silent, and he says, like, well, we don't know the casualties yet, but I'm sure Japan didn't like it. And everybody's, yeah. like, cheering, and 
roaring, but it's silent, and you you can just see him saying like, "Fuck! Like, what have I done?" It's it's hard to watch. It is Cr- like cringeworthy, but that's what Nolan wanted. And then and he steps outside, and Roderick from Diary of a Wimpy Kid is puking in a bike rack. <laughs> Yeah, gosh, some of the cameos in here, man. I I can't wait to break this down. Um, next character though is Kitty, and I honestly think she probably is the third most important character in this movie besides Strauss. I loved her role though. Um, I think Emily Blunt did awesome. I don't know why we don't see her in more movies. I she's very selective. I think she's made that a point where. She picks her spots, hmm. and rightfully so. I mean, she's clearly very gifted, and I, I, I've loved her in all of her other work, but this was, like, the first time where I was like, holy shit, like, this deserves an Oscar nom. She is phenomenal. She owns every scene she's in. She can compete with, with Killian Murphy at any given point. She goes toe-to-toe with Jason Clark in the, like, pseudo, like, courtroom scene. Yeah. That she every scene she's in she owns and i can't really say much more than that emily blunt killed it in her very limited screen time she really did um the the thing that confused me the most about this character was the the child care like i don't i couldn't really get a grasp of what oppenheimer and kitty were doing with with their kid with like they gave him to their friends for a little bit right and then i, I just that that of the movie confused me a little bit i think it moved so fast that i couldn't really grasp what was happening my understanding was she was beyond stressed having the kid Mm -hmm. like having to take care of the kid oppenheimer selfishly wanted kitty calm while they're in this remote place they need to have the kid be elsewhere so that those two can be a well-oiled machine while he's building the bomb yeah okay and like they have they have that moment with his friend and he feels guilty about it like i feel like a selfish piece of shit basically mm-hmm. and his friend encounters and says selfish pieces of shit don't don't, know. don't think like this right yeah. they they're not self-aware fair, fair enough do you have anything else to say about kitty no i see that groves is next on our list this is matt damon's character and i we're definitely going to disagree here but I thought he was very fun in this role. He was. He overacts. He's he's definitely getting the Vincent Hanna "Give Me All You Got" award, but it's it's it. I think it kind of works for me at least. It a hundred percent works. He's playing like a a military high ranking official in like this World War Two over like romanticizing military. Yeah. I, I think that it just works. He fits the archetype perfect. Yeah, I, I couldn't really tell if I, like, didn't mind or just absolutely hated his character. <laughs> oh, I couldn't stand him until his moment. Um, like, what do we want to call it? The courtroom? It's not the courtroom. It's, like, a cubicle, basically. Yeah, it's it's a it's a courtroom, but it's, like, not really. I, I, let's just refer to it as the courtroom, I guess. Yeah, it looks like an office space. Mm-hmm. Either way... Like, it hints at him selling out Oppenheimer early on. Like, does he meet the guidelines today? And it cuts to, like, the next scene. But yeah. we we, re- we revisit that moment at the end, 
and he makes it abundantly clear like no one would have made, met those guidelines never did i feel like oppenheimer's loyalty to this country was in question like that was his like redeeming moment yeah but up until that point i felt like he was just a slime bag using oppenheimer i and i want to jump around the list for a second and talk about <laughs> matt damon's right hand man uh <laughs> Nichols, who is played by Dane DeHaan. Ugh. This guy is just an apex predator. Um, <laughs> DeHaan's, perform- <laughs> DeHaan's performance was actually bearable, though, I thought, right? He was good. I mean, Nolan knew what to make him. Just a, a piece of shit, like, over-the-top villain. We've all seen his record. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I like DeHaan here. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great piece to, like, the villain aspect of this story, I guess. There's a couple good mini-villains. I If we're just jumping around, I definitely want to talk about Borden, yeah, the guy sure. from Prisoners. Scum mm-hmm. of the fucking earth, man. Dude, yeah, it's, uh, God, he was the most hateable character maybe in in the past year david dust yeah. das malkian though um is the actor's name he did a great job portraying him because he's a fucking weirdo loser like that's his like typecast isn't it <laughs> it's so it's so funny i feel bad for the guy at this point he just I, plays creepy weirdos dude i'm sure that he's like a great guy in person but like right seeing his movies like he's like a top five guy i would not want to be like locked in an elevator with <laughs> <laughs> yes totally one of those um, now now one guy that like you wouldn't want to play like mafia with or like rob a bank with and get caught with is the safty brother that's in this movie he's the f- he's also the worst oh my god S- talk about slime dude oh I, my gosh. I like hate benny safty now he is what a scumbag just a sellout yeah the the that redeeming is... the redeeming moment though is so great with um so for those of you listening and not really realizing what we're talking about he essentially like turns on oppenheimer so that he can continue to fund his own research and dude uh at the at the end of the movie um Oppenheimer is like accepting an award and he goes and shakes Oppenheimer's hand and then Kitty snubs him. So awesome. I read later that the that person in real life, who does uh Safety play? What's his name Lenny? Uh his name is Teller. His first Teller, name thank is you. Yeah. Um that that moment made Teller cry in in real life. It that, could, it uh, should. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it haunted him that he he sold out his boy. Yeah. Messed up. It's it, uh, That was, oh my God, I hated him so much. <laughs> really quick, another uh, side character as far as villain goes. Not really villain, but scary military guy. What an all-time cameo. Two minutes of Casey Affleck. Dude, as, as soon as, as I Pash. heard his voice, I was like, holy shit. There's no way. Yeah. Okay. You are going to lose it. I, I don't know if you're going to like this take or not, but Marco and I, he's the one that pointed it out to me, and now it's a running joke. Casey Affleck in every movie does not emote. He is like the emoji with just like the straight line mouth. And 
people just glaze him all the time and the dude just doesn't emote and in this movie i started cracking up because he's playing the archetype of the emoji with his mouth not moving it it's casey affleck being casey affleck and people just go crazy okay i i i will say i think there's a certain art to the subtlety of his performance because when he is not emoting in this movie it's it's very much a holy shit this guy's gonna kill oppenheimer and you completely believe that he did go back to russia and kill the bolsheviks like um but in when he's not emoting in there is some truth by the sea it's like he's fucking dead inside like i i don't know i i think casey affleck is a very talented actor he's not an adam driver that's gonna give you the every day i wake up and i wish you were dead he's the guy that's gonna give you the slower meditative performances uh like i'm telling standing you, under a sheet for 90 minutes and breaking I, my I was just gonna say you you fit into this narrative of wow god he brought it he so <laughs> brought it blood hasn't moved his mouth in 15 minutes dude i don't know i don't know it's all jokes i love casey affleck and he is a good actor but i think it's so funny and i cracked up when he popped up yeah yeah no i i i was so caught off guard by him (laughs) all right Um, i've been like taking the floor on villains like what what do you want to jump to yeah let's talk about the villain um lewis strauss (laughs) so rdj yeah this is an all-time great villain i think he's up there with nicholson in a few good men right i mean it's hard to argue with that it's just like it was so refreshing to see downey jr be the downey jr that like our dads talk about like no you don't get it son before iron man this guy was supposed to be the man and he was the man before he blew it like he has the chops we just haven't seen it because he's been hiding under a suit for you know 13 years dude i know it was so nice to see him the most like recent non iron man role he's had i i'm pretty sure was dr doolittle like right dude thank god like thank god he's finally done with marvel because this is like this is gonna be like i i think a renaissance versus downey jr like run at the oscars for like five years (laughs) oh i love it that's such a good take the fraser resurgence (laughs) um that said though like the character itself he is egotistical he is constantly lying and he's so fucking annoying and he is literally just every politician we've ever seen right right you're praying on his downfall for the last hour of this movie he's a complete talk about scumbag puppeteer like you said just fits the mold for every politician we've like we we've gotten the behind the scenes look at Oppenheimer, it's disgusting. Oppenheimer embarrasses him six years ago, and he is like dead set on on seeing this man's downfall. He's he's the equivalent of Topher Grace in Spider Man Three going to church and praying that Peter Parker <laughs> dies. <laughs> yeah, it, that was really funny. That like he he <laughs> he got clowned in court and said, "You know what? Nope, my life's I'm not mission let is that to slide. ruin this man." <laughs> yeah. This is this is RDJ's Joker origin story. Um, 
I, I wanted to touch them on the Senate as well because they kind of go hand in hand. So this is uh, Alden Ehrenreich, and he plays essentially this guy who starts off being like, yeah, RDJ, you're fine. Like, nobody's been denied from the cabinet for 40 years, blah, 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 blah. And then you slowly see Alden Ehrenreich is us. Like, <laughs> he is the audience watching Robert Downey Jr. like slowly show his his true colors and... Um, like realize how how badly he did fuck over Oppenheimer and I think he plays it perfectly like I was like oh my it, it, it is me <laughs> it's funny I uh I've never seen Solo so like it didn't <gasps> like seriously I know isn't that crazy but like it never um occurred to me who it was I just I was watching the movie like I'm with this guy he gets it like I <laughs> I'm so sick of Downey Jr. This guy's sticking up for my beliefs. And then after the movie, like, oh, shit, that's that's on Solo. Yeah, he got so screwed with the Solo stuff. I, I've loved seeing him get a couple more roles here. Um, it's It's been nice. I, I, he's actually, I think, a very good actor. Yeah, he's great here. I, I really liked him in this movie. Yeah. Um, that said, do you want to jump into Gene Tatlock? This one's weird. This is, I mean, such minimal screen time. I, it's hard to understand her as a character other than understand it, like helps understand Oppenheimer. Here's my, here's my take. I would watch a Florence Pugh, Cillian Murphy, like drama romance, (laughs) um, just about Gene Tatlock and Oppenheimer. Oh boy, I don't know. This... I, I had I I had my fair share of their their thing. the The two minutes of it was fine by me. I, this is I think the most interesting character in the movie to me. Uh, just because I could, everybody else you can clearly grasp every motivation they have. I could never understand what she was doing and like what she wanted at all. And I think that was. A fascinating thing she also obviously has her life ruined by Oppenheimer and semi ruins Oppenheimer's life as well um, but I, I just love that I was never really able to grasp her motivations and are they insinuating that the government killed her okay so like they cut to her like so so called suicide mm-hmm. multiple times and there's one shot where it shows like a hand like drowning her. Yeah. So appara- apparently the story goes that it's not known. It's and again, it's in color. So this is Oppenheimer like having a vision about it. Like this could have happened to her mm-hmm. as he's panicking over it. But there's a rumor that the government killed her to keep Oppenheimer focused on the bomb. And that's what that's hinting at. Is it possible that it was suicide? Yes. Yeah. But is it also possible that the government pulled some shady shit? Yes. So Oppenheimer I, I like continu- that they... Sorry, Oppenheimer continuously saying, she didn't sign the note, she didn't sign the note. I thought it was a, a great scene. This is... Yes. I, I, I don't know, she was just my favorite character in this movie. Interesting. I um, What was your crowd reactions to the full-blown nudity scenes? uh no like just silence oh we had some laughs man i think people are uncomfortable oh well. <laughs> it's weird i haven't seen like 
I haven't seen full blown nudity in a movie in a while. It like it took me a took me aback for a minute. Yeah, neither have I. I thought so. There's been some backlash about this too. I I liked that Cillian Murphy was also shown nude. You don't see his junk, just like you don't see Florence Pugh's. But I thought that it was supposed to just be like. First off, you're you're seeing that Jean Tatlock is completely vulnerable with Oppenheimer, and like she is, she has no guard up at all, and I think that kind of plays into that whole, he is able to destroy her world without trying, like unintentionally he does that because she was so open with him, I guess. I get it. I'm just not sure. I'm having a hard time justifying like the necessity no i I, I know i know it's definitely unneeded but i think that's what he was shooting for i guess um that said i asked my friend uh after we saw this the second time like how close is this to like the real history and he said well i don't think that when oppenheimer was (laughs) was fucking (laughs) gene tatlock (laughs) he started reading sanskrit about he was death the destroyer of worlds that was so funny to me that that was the inspiration that chris nolan decided you know what this is what we're running with that's it's, so cool it's so oh god i love it um i that brings me to the other funniest character ever which is robbie malik in this movie this is the biggest crowd reaction I got both times was <laughs> was Robbie Malik looking up with his like goofy ass grin or whatever his he was doing ball. in this movie. Everybody was just dying laughing. I loved it. He's just he's a weirdo. I can't figure <laughs> him out. I mean, he's clearly talented, but he's just kind of a weird guy. <laughs> it's so awesome. Oh my god. Oh great heat check like humiliated strauss and like put him like on blast in front of the court yeah great triumphant moment i i loved his courtroom scene i thought he was great too yes that's what i'm referring to that was awesome yeah but but like when he when oppenheimer bats the clipboard out of his hand (laughs) he peeks sign my sign my petition sign my petition oh god so funny um i don't really have anything else to say about him do you nope i mean he's got like literally 90 seconds of screen time uh okay then the next character i wanted to talk about is lawrence who is josh hartnett's character i I never really understood this guy either so he's kind of just like a mega capitalist it seems right yeah i'm gonna be honest with you man i i have a hard time like analyzing this character because the whole time I'm just looking at him thinking, yeah, he'd be pretty good as Harvey Dent. Like, I could see it. I, I, I think he's going to be Harvey Dent in Batman, too. I could see it. I was just happy to see him. I, Other than that, like like you said, what's what's going on with Lawrence, you know? What yeah. happened? Like, he was, like, the no-show during Oppenheimer's hearing. Yeah, I don't. I didn't understand that either. I thought Lawrence would have supported Oppenheimer. He seemed like he was on his side for the most part, right? I I. I think to my understanding that him not showing up was like helping Oppenheimer's case. That's yeah, no, that's what it seemed like, but the the my issue was like he was helping with Manhattan Project. He can he helped Oppenheimer even get onto the Manhattan Project. Yeah, I think th- but he was annoyed the whole time with 
Oppenheimer like still having commie friends or like talking about politics in the in the classroom stuff like that I don't know maybe okay. he held a grudge who knows fair enough, fair enough. Um, okay how about Bainbridge this is Josh Peck's character what the fuck okay. is he doing in this movie right right what are we doing here and maybe this is an unanswerable question but surely they can do better than Josh Peck right like there's got to be a different actor that can press the button it's so funny though like i was i i just don't know what he was doing like i would have rather had a no name there i think than josh peck that's honestly a fair answer why why are we doing this why josh why josh i don't know god um all right are we are we missing oh truman truman we're we're missing and yes we are yeah i this was just (laughs) Dude, when he showed up, I was so embarrassed. I I shot up and was like, no way. <laughs> when it was Gary Oldman. Old man Oldman. That, that was not shown in the trailers, was it? No, At least it wasn't. ones that I had seen. No. That was such a great, well-kept secret. Um, uh-huh. You know, like, Oldman aside, Truman, total piece of shit here. Mm-hmm. And Oldman plays it so well. Super cool. Yeah. Um... I, it, I think this was one of my favorite scenes, too, with him essentially telling Oppenheimer, I, I, nobody cares who built the bomb, they care about who dropped it, which is another reason why I think we see Oppenheimer as more of an anti-hero than a villain, or a, a tragic hero, rather. Um, yeah. And And you wrote down that it highlights Truman's and American political figures in general lack of foresight. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, sure, it's, like, helping us see Oppenheimer as more of an anti-hero, if you will, or the hero of the story, but I I think the point of this scene was to call out, like, no, it is Oppenheimer's fault that he's created something that will destroy us. Truman only has the—he's only looking at it from a certain perspective, like, I just killed hundreds of thousands of people— which, of course, is terrible, mm-hmm. but from the lens that Oppenheimer sees it in is he is he has killed the entire planet. It just yeah. hasn't happened yet and will not happen for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, it just there's a clear lack of foresight. Like if I- Truman had seen Oppenheimer's vision, this this bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima would have never happened. The, the, the creation of the bomb would have never happened. Yeah, I, I thought you were talking with your lack of foresight. The, you know when Russia's going to have the bomb? Never! <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. Great take, man. H, H, H well. Um, and Oops. my theater did erupt in laughter again at the, don't let that crybaby back in here. <laughs> that was great. Apparently he, uh, he called Oppenheimer a crybaby. Really? Wow. Yeah. That tracks. Again. This movie so funny, like I, it made me want to do my homework. Like I want to read American Prometheus. Yeah. Um, last last character then is Albert Einstein. What what did you think? Okay. <laughs> this and it would not have worked here in this movie, but you know how in Air they like never show Michael Jordan's face because like no one can be Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about Albert Einstein. I don't know why, but the entire time I'm watching this guy that's supposed to be the greatest mind of the world or one of the great minds 
and it's just like the doctor from Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. It just doesn't work. I, I actually thought it I didn't mind it. I didn't really recognize him at first as the doctor. Um but I thought Einstein in general, I thought some of my favorite scenes had him in it, so like the like the he he fostered I think a lot of great discussion for the movie. That's fair. Like I I'm fine. I'm just being a baby. I'm I'm nitpicking. I I have no issues. I love the ending with him. I love him being a complete asshole to Strauss. I just I don't know. I I think they could have done better with the casting. That's fair. all. Uh quick aside and then we'll move on. Um they should have cast Victor Wembanyama as MJ and Air. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> just, um yeah. Really, one more quick thing. This isn't. This shouldn't even count as a character appearance, but we have to talk about the Robin thing. They like name drop John F. Kennedy. <laughs> Dude, My that theater so love that. <laughs> they treat it like it's a fucking comic book movie. They do. It's like, oh my god, are we gonna get? <laughs> are we gonna John get Ant Man four now? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, I that that was great. I loved that moment. Yeah, well, I think that wraps up the character breakdown. This is kind of another staple that we do. Let's hear your rankings on Christopher Nolan movies now that you've seen Oppenheimer. All right, I'll I'll fly through this since this is already a pretty long pod. Um, coming in at twelve, I have the following: uh, eleven, Dunkirk. Again, I respect it, just not for me. Ten, Insomnia. Another one that I really respect, but didn't really love as much as I wanted to with Pacino and Williams. I love the cast, didn't love the movie as much as I wanted to. Um, nine, Batman Begins. And now we're approaching the 10 out of 10 area because at 8 we have Dark Knight. At 7, I have Oppenheimer. And to be clear, this is my favorite order. If this was my ranking of Nolan from best to worst objectively, I think Oppenheimer is his best movie. Um, Number 6, I have Memento. 5, Dark Knight Rises. 4, The Prestige. 3, Interstellar. 2, Inception. And 1, Christopher Nolan Presents Bo is Afraid. Tenet. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> now, my list, man, is very different from yours, but it's also, it's a mix of favorite and best. Like, I don't have a, a separate list for best and favorite for Nolan. So yeah. it's kind of just one Chris Nolan ranking. At the bottom, similar to you, following, I'm going to be honest, I still haven't seen this one, and I probably won't. And I feel like a lot of people will put it last and it's because they haven't seen it. I'm just being <laughs> honest. I'm the first one being honest about it. At my second to last spot, I feel like people would kill me for this, but Batman Begins. I think this movie is immensely overrated. I'm not saying it's bad. I, I like Batman Begins, but the next two are so much better in my opinion that it's just it, it just continues to fall on this board. Then we've got Insomnia at 10. This is one that like is good, but it doesn't fit the Nolan mold. Like he didn't write the story; it's a remake. It just, it just, it's not his thing. It feels yeah. like it fits too well into the genre. His thing is fitting into like. Let's take a genre a and then make it confusing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That is not insomnia. And then at the nine spot, I've got Memento. I think if I rewatch this, it'd probably like climb the list, but we'll see. Similar to Tenet at my eight spot. I just saw it. 
maybe at a weird time, maybe not. Maybe I just think it's confusing. I don't care. At the eight spot, <laughs> at the seven spot, like I always like I, <laughs> the Dark Knight is at the seven spot. <laughs> I, it's like every time I talk about this movie, I just shit on it completely. But I do like it. I do like The Dark Knight. It is very good. At the sixth spot, I've got Oppenheimer. At five, I have Inception. At four, I have the best Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> at, at three, I have Interstellar. And then at my 1A, 1B, I have dunkirk and the prestige again i think this list fluctuates just given you know a couple rewatches i'm i'm not, i'm still not sure where i want to put oppenheimer that's why i kind of threw it in the middle nolan's one of the hardest directors to rank because like when i went through carpenter i watched like 20 fucking movies right and you could clearly pretty much tell like okay well there there are a lot of twos there there are a lot of threes there are a lot of fours there are a couple fives with Nolan, it feels like they're like all pretty much just S tier movies. Basically, man, like I, again, I think there's maybe like two or three A tier movies, yeah. but the rest are just fucking bangers. He doesn't really miss, and even if they are A tier, like it's better than most. It he doesn't he doesn't miss. All right, I don't want to like completely dampen the mood just in case, but now that you've seen Oppenheimer, I saw a TikTok. Are you still taking Fincher over Nolan? Ooh. I don't know. It's tough, right? It's tough. It's I'm tough. still leaning Fincher, but you Oppenheimer. Caught me, you caught me on a week where I just watched Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises and listened to the Interstellar soundtrack for like three hours today. So the I'm re- going to say Nolan. Recent, <laughs> the recency bias is just bizarre right now. It is. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm I think I'm I think I'm going Nolan for now, but I'm sure if you ask me in six months, I'll say Fincher. All right, I'll lean Fincher for now. Fair enough. Um, all right, you got anything else before I close this out? I'm all set. Oppenheimer was great. Please go see it. Yeah, go see it in IMAX, please. Um, thank you all for listening to the last podcast where we believe movies can be more than just movies, and we'll catch you next week.